Amen. That was awesome. Good job, guys. All right, so there's a rumor going around that the kids are having a Christmas party upstairs. Did anybody else hear that one? Is that what I've heard? So, kids, you can head down this hallway. If you have younger ones, you want to go check them in, you could do that now. The rest of you could be seated. Thank you, everybody. You guys did great. That was awesome. As you're finding your seat, go ahead and <coughs> grab a Bible and find Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible... We have some here. Luke 15, there's some Bibles up here. Looks like Stephen's going to hand them out because he's awesome and helpful. If you need a Bible, throw your hand up. Stephen will get you one. If you don't have a Bible, you need one, by the way. So you're like, I don't need a Bible. Yeah, you do if, if you don't have one. So Luke 15, that's where we're at. If you have a white or a blue Bible like we handed you, I have the same kind up here. And so it is page 510. That's where we're going to be. Again, reminder, Christmas Eve service, 5 o'clock right here. One half of an hour is all we're going to be. And we're going to sing and do the candlelight caroling thing. And it's, it's always a good time. So Luke chapter 15. Today we are going to have a story that you probably have at least heard of. It's actually one of the more famous parables of Jesus. We've been studying through the parables of Jesus for uh, a couple months now. And uh, today we're going to have a parable that speaks to both insiders and outsiders. And I I'm not trying to judge you when I say that. Some of you are like, whoa, thanks, bro. Like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying that there are, I know there are some of you who are here who would probably look around and be like, yeah, church is my thing. Like, I'm, I'm an insider at church. And then there's another group of people who may come to church but kind of feel like an outsider. Like, yeah, I'm, um, I go sometimes when I can or whatever, but on, on the whole, I'm kind of on, I'm not quite on the in-group, I'm on the out-group. And today, we have a message that is specially, not formulated, that's probably the wrong word for it, but it is special points for each of those groups of people. And I point that out because the outsiders usually don't want to hear it, and the insiders already think they've heard it very often. And one of the crazy things about the gospel is the more you say, I already have heard it, the more likely you need it. Like, like one of the signs that you don't grasp the magnitude of the gospel is the fact that you think you've already got it. And actually, this is kind of true in life in general. The person who says, like, oh, I got this, I got it figured out, is probably the least likely person to actually have it figured out. If you write... You've understood this? Are you walking around life and you run into somebody that's like, I, I know, I know. Uh, like, that's probably a good sign that person doesn't know, right? Because when were you the most likely to say you had it all figured out? 17, 18, 19, right? 23? It's, it's, it's incredible how many 23-year-olds got the world figured out. And they're like, yeah, I've, if, they, if things would just do what I know we should do, we would have this all solved right now. And then I, you don't know this 23-year-olds or 17-year-olds or 15-year-olds, but you're going to get stupider as life goes on. And you're going to get to like 40, and you're like, I don't know anything, right? And your kids are going to be just like you, and it's going to suck. But <laughs> don't do that this morning, okay? You've heard this story before, I promise you. you you've at least heard the idea. Don't be like, oh, 
This is like elementary school. I'm like college. No, 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 don't do that. Listen for what the Lord has for you this morning, all right? We agree? Let's do it. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. It says this. And Jesus is speaking to a crowd here. It says, and he said, so as Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed his pigs. And he was, lodging to be, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and yet no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, I do just ask as we study your word this morning that your hand would be Upon our hearts, Lord, uh, that you would speak to us as you desire to speak to us, Lord. You know the circumstances and struggles and trials of our lives. And Father, you desire to speak to those ends this morning. And so may your hand be upon this time. May you be honored and glorified by what takes place here. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. All right, so the story begins, bless you. And Jesus is telling a story about a man whose son comes to him and asks him for his inheritance up front. Now, this is obviously ridiculously disrespectful. This is not honoring. This is incredibly painful for the father to hear. I'm sure the son comes and says, hey, dad, kind of want my stuff. Um, don't know if you could swing that, uh, which no dad wants to hear. Like, uh, wait till I'm dead first. No, I don't want to wait till you're dead. Just kind of want your stuff. And then the son gets the stuff. And immediately, it says a few days later, comes and says, hey, news, I'm moving out. So not only does he just want the stuff, not the relationship with the father, but now he's like, nah, and if I don't have to live with you, I kind of don't want to. Which is gut-wrenching, I'm sure, for the father. Adding insult to injury, the son moves out, and it moves far away. And at the end of verse 13, we're told that the kid wasted every cent he had 
And actually, this is why it's called the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, you might see that heading in your Bible, which is wrong, but we'll talk about that later. Um, prodigal just means reckless spending or, or just ridiculous wastefulness in your spending. And so he wastes everything. He wastes absolutely everything he has. And at some point, he is sitting there uh, after the famine has arose, feeding pigs, and it says he, he longs to be fed with the food that the pigs are eating. Like He's looking at that and he's like, man, that looks better than what I ate last night. I mean, he's struggling big time. Look at verse, verse 17 says. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And at this point, I'll give the kid some credit. He, he makes a very wise decision. He says, hey, this is not working. What I'm doing, the way I'm living, it's not working. And I'm not just going to tweak it a little bit. I'm not just going to be like, oh, yeah, if there wasn't a famine, I would have made it. No, no, no. I'm going to completely change my direction. I'm going to go home. I'm going to say, Dad, I sinned. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. Because there's a ton of people in the world whose pride keeps them from ever doing this. Right? Their, their life is not working. Things have destroyed, imploded around them. They have ruined so many things, not only in their lives, but in their relationships and in the just kind of epicenter of their earthquake is just destroying things further and further out from them. And now they, they're never going to turn around and come back. They're just like, nah, I'm good. But please, if you hear anything this morning, if this is you, if you're looking at your life and I'm ruining it, stop doing that. You know, like the old saying goes, like, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Right? Just, just stop. Turn around. Now, I don't know if you uh, have ever done this, but um, you know when you do something wrong and, and you know your parents haven't found out yet? And so there's that period of time when you do the wrong thing, you broke it or you got in trouble or, you know, whatever happened. And then there's a period of time between then and when your parents are going to find out that's like the worst period of time in like the history of mankind. Because you, you're like making things up in your mind about how this is going to go. Right, you're coming up with your lie and you're manipulating, and you're like trying to figure out like how you're gonna say it, what you're gonna say, but you know how they're gonna react. It kind of doesn't matter. You're like they're gonna kill me. They're gonna they're gonna be so. They're I'm dead. Like I might not as well not even go. Like there's so many, and so I'm sure that the son is doing this in his mind. Okay, I'm gonna say this. Maybe he won't be so mad. He's gonna be, and he's doing this over and over and over in his mind. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that mental picture that you have of your angry parents or your angry father or whoever is an authority, like that angry judgmental picture, and I want you to replace it with what we actually see in the Bible. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So replace that judgmental picture of the father with what Jesus describes here. A father who is 
welcoming, just so grateful for his son to be home. We see this, know this right now. If you don't learn anything else from this morning's message, I want you to get a realistic picture of the posture of the father. He's not angry. He's not yelling. He's not like, I knew it. It was only a matter of time before you came wandering back with your tail between your legs, you loser. I told you. He didn't say any of that. In fact, it says, well, he's still a long way off. His father saw him. His father's probably looking, right? Who knows how long it had been, but the father probably every time he walked around the front of the house, kind of peeked down the road. Is he coming home today? Nope, not yet. Is he coming home? Nope, not yet. One day, father looks down the road. Maybe he's just taking out the trash or something. I don't know if they took the trash out in those days. But, you know, he's out front. He looks down the road. And he's like, wait a second. Right? And if you're a, a parent, you know your kids from a Like, you know how they walk. You know their posture. You know what they look like when they tell a lie. And he looks, and he's like, that's him. That's him. And the posture of the father is not judgment or anger. It's running, which is the stupidest thing for an old man to do ever. Right now, this is not running like we like. There is nobody who jogs for fun in first century Israel, okay? So there's he's not got his headband and his Nike, you know, wristband, iPod shuffle thing going on. He is wearing a robe, so for him to run, he's got to like get the robe up and bare his legs like a little boy and do this like right. This is awkward and ridiculous, and everybody would have been like, "What are you doing?" And he doesn't care. He doesn't care about any of it. He doesn't care about what he looks like. He doesn't care about honor and dignity. You know, this is like one of those stuffy, like, old. Like, this is like if you saw a man in a business suit running down the road who had pulled up his, he rolled up his business suit above his knees so he could run faster. You'd be like, you look like an idiot. And he would say, I do not care because my son was lost and is now coming home. And he runs, and he gets there, and the son is going through his prepared speech, right? Father, I have sinned against heaven. And the father has no time for any of it. He doesn't want to hear one word of it. He says, get him a robe, which means he didn't clean himself up before he came home, right? He didn't find his best clothes and come back. He looked like he just came out of a pigsty, which is fine. But at least he had the sense to admit his pride and, and turn from that and come home. And the father embraces him. Kill the fat and cap. We are celebrating this morning. The posture of the Father is incredible. The kindness and the grace and the love of the Father is incredible. I want you to get that this morning. If you're in that place this morning, if, if you are making a mess of your life, I beg you, don't let pride keep you from turning around. Don't let pride keep you from coming home. Don't let pride keep you from recognizing the posture of the Father. He desperately wants you home. But here's the thing. That's the story of the prodigal son. But the story of the prodigal son actually is not in your Bible. And you're like, what? Yeah, it is. I see the heading. No, no, the word prodigal probably isn't even in your Bible. It's a word that we never even use anymore. If you look at the beginning of the story, verse 11, and Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. Say that with me. Two sons. So we're going to correct. All, we're going to right all the wrongs right now. We're going to fix the world. Riverstone Chapel. We got this. Every time somebody says prodigal son, I want you to be like, nope, there's two sons. Oh, the prodigal. Nope, two sons. Two, two sons. Two sons. Two sons. It's not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of a man who had 
two sons, right? I want this to be like a reflection, like a, like a gag reflex, like the problem. Nope, two sons, right, on the street. Two sons, there's two sons. Why? Because if you miss the second son, then you miss a huge piece of what Jesus is trying to teach these people. And in fact, you miss probably the most important piece of what Jesus is trying to teach these people. So here's what I mean. Look back at the beginning of chapter 15. Go up the page a little bit. If you're on one of our Bibles, page 510, it's like the middle. Chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, The man receives sinners and eats with them. So there's this interesting thing that there's these two distinct groups of people interacting with Jesus right now. The tax collectors and the sinners are drawn to him. Now, tax collectors was like a shady profession. It was based on dishonesty and just kind of like a low-life approach to making money. It was like inherently dishonest. And so those kinds of people hang out with those other kinds of people. So drunks, prostitutes, tax collectors, that was just kind of this segment of society that all hung out together. And those people, those outcasts, we're drawn to Jesus. Every time we see those types of people hearing the message of Jesus, they are drawn to him. So side note, if your life or the church you go to looks around and we don't see any tax collectors and sinners, if we don't see any younger brother types, maybe you created more of an older brother type church or life than you like to realize. right? If we're not preaching a message that draws in the outcast then we're probably not preaching the same message that Jesus preached, okay? So anyway, these outcasts are coming to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes, these are the religious people. These are the Bible-believing, church-attending, Republican-voting, right? These are the people who would consider some, themselves the moral and religious insiders, right? These are the people on the right side of the dividing line on who goes to heaven and who does not. And they look on, and they see all these outcasts being drawn to Jesus. And like, what, this guy? He does, he's not telling them that what they're doing is wrong. He's not telling, he's not. And they start to grumble against Jesus. So my, in my imagination, I see this crowd of outcasts close to Jesus. And in the back row, probably, some of these scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders kind of like, look at this guy. Who, who does he think he is? So they're listening to Jesus, right? These two different kinds of people. And so Jesus starts to tell the story. There's two sons, two sons, right? And <coughs> one of the sons goes off and wastes his entire life. And he wasted on prostitutes and drinking and partying. And the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are like, yeah. Now, this Jesus guy, he doesn't got it all figured out. But this I can get behind. Tell him, Jesus. Y'all going to go to hell if you don't turn around. Like, they're probably in the back row. Preach! Right? They're, they're loving this. And yet the story does not end with the first son. Look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. 
And he said to him, son, you were always with me and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive and he was lost and is found. So the bro- older brother comes in from the field and he hears the celebration. He's like, what's going on? And one of the servants, oh, your younger brother come home. And he goes, that loser? That guy, the prostitute lover, the drunk, drug addicted, Tony? I don't know if your name's Tony. I just picked that out of midair, so it's a coincidence, right? What the heck? Who cares if he's back? How long has he been gone? He had all this time to come say sorry. He never did it once. And now we're throwing a party for him? We killed the fattened calf for that kid? He's an idiot. And now it's the older brother's turn to disgrace the father. See, we already talked about the younger brother disgracing the father. And now the father throws this huge party. Probably everybody in the village is invited. My son was lost and now found. Everybody come in. And the older brother's doing this. I'm not coming in. I ain't going in there. Right? This is like the, you know, you have your family over for the holidays and everybody's going to do the thing and then somebody won't come out of their room. Right? Like, I'm so mad. They may be so mad. I'm going to stay in here. And you're like, and what would you do as a dad, right? You go up to that room and you're like, get your butt down there. I will whoop you. Right? That's what you're expecting to have happen here, right? I don't care if you're mad. We can talk about it later. You get in there and you eat. The, right? This is disgraceful. Right? If your family comes over for Thanksgiving dinner and two of your kids won't come out of their rooms, that's embarrassing. And the, this father is throwing this huge feast and everybody's like, hey, where's Billy? Right? Where, I thought where, he should be here. He's not. Right? Drug Tony's over here. Where's Billy? Right? Why is he not in? It's embarrassing for the father. The older son is now disgracing the father publicly, just like the younger son disgraced the father publicly earlier. And so, the lost younger brother and the lost older brother are both disgracing of the father. You see that? This parable would be better titled, The Two Lost Sons. Because it's not just about one lost son, right? It's not about the prodigal son. There's two sons. I, okay, thank you, right? I know there's two sons, and they're both lost. See, the lost younger brother thinks that he's going to find the key to life by throwing off the father's restrictions, pursuing whatever makes him happy, whatever pleasure he can find. I'm going to find myself. I'm going to make sense of this world. I'm going to go on my own journey, my own path. And that ends in destruction. And the older brother also thinks that he's going to figure out life on his own. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to follow all the rules so that when I get the inheritance from my father, everybody will say what a great son I was, how I deserved to be a father, the the follower of my father's footsteps because I wasn't like my terrible younger brother. I'm a great, honest, hardworking, father-loving older brother. And I'm I'm going to save myself. Both of them think they're going to save themselves. The lost older brother thinks he's going to stay home and follow every rule and be the perfect son. The lost younger brother thinks that he's going to find himself. And here's the point of the story. Both the irreligious and the religious are lost. Both both of those paths lead to dead ends. Every thought that mankind has had about how we are going to fix what's broken between us and God is a lie. It's all wrong. Every time you're just sitting there in your bed, you're like, I know what I'll do to help myself with God. I'll, 
I'll, I'll go find myself on a journey and take, take a bunch of drugs and just, you know, figure it out. No, that's wrong. And I know what I'll do. I'll be such a good person that God will never be upset with me because I follow every rule. That, that's also wrong. There have always been two general paths to life. Moral conformity and rebellious self-discovery. That we have this younger brother whose self-centeredness is killing him. And the older brothers whose moralistic pride is silently killing him. And at their extremes, both sides think the other one is what's wrong with the world. Right? The younger brother is like those judgmental, self-righteous, bigoted, narrow-minded older brothers. Religion kills more people than anything. Those people, they think they have moral authority over someone else. Those are the people that are messed up and wrong with the world. And then the older brothers look. Those freewheeling, sin-celebrating, unstable younger brothers. Man, our traditions have been working good forever. This is how life should go. Honesty and hard work and family values. And, and you guys are just breaking all the rules. And they feel like the culture's under attack. And so even though the Bible says we're supposed to love our neighbors, we are justly looking down upon younger brothers because really they are what's wrong with the world. And both sides are lost. And both sides think other people are the problem. But here's what you may not have considered. From the outset, the followers of Jesus were considered not irreligious or religious, but a distinct third way, right? Because religious people in those days, they worshiped at a temple. They worshiped with priests. They made sacrifices. So anybody who was religious, pagan, Jewish, whatever, they would go to a temple. They would worship there. They would offer sacrifices. They would talk to the priest. That was how they did their honoring of God. And then they talked to a Christian. Hey, where do you worship? Uh, we, do, we, we, we just worship wherever we are. Wait, you don't go to a temple? No, no. The Bible says Jesus lives in our hearts. What? Well, who's your priest? Well, Jesus was our high priest. Yeah, but, but what, what kind of stuff does he wear? Well, he, he's, he's not here. He's in our hearts. You don't have a priest? Well, yeah, we have one. He's just the spirit of God in our hearts. Well, what sacrifices do you make? Well, we don't, we don't make sacrifices. Why not? Jesus was our sacrifice. You're not religious at all. Do you have a big list of rules that you have to follow to get into heaven? No. Well, you're not religious. So the religious people were like, they actually called Christians in the first couple centuries, atheists. They're like, they don't go to a temple. They don't have priests. They don't sacrifice anything. They don't have a big list of rules to follow to get into heaven. They're not God worshipers. They're not religious. So religious people called Christians atheists. And then on the other side of it, the irreligious were like, hey, let's go smoke some whatever they smoked in first century. And the Christians were like, yeah, we don't do that. Let's get drunk. Well, we don't do that. Let's go sleep around. Ah, we don't do that. Well, what's wrong with you guys? Well, we have moral, moral convictions. Why? You don't worship a God. And so the irreligious people were like, ah, they don't belong with us either. So Christianity was this third distinct way. It was not the religious following of rules to please God or the irreligious acting as if God didn't exist. It was this third way where they worshiped God and yet did so not with a formalized list of rules, but because of the gratitude of their hearts. And people looked at that and were like, what the heck? And Jesus is now bringing up a story 
where he has people in the front row who are on that path of self-discovery and, and moral relativism. And he's like, hey, you, you, you're doing it wrong. And the people in the back row who think they're going to follow all the rules and somehow be good enough to be accepted by the Father. And he's saying, hey, you're also doing it wrong. But here's what we learn by the way Jesus tells the story. The older brother's situation is much more complicated, much harder to spot, and because of that, much more deadly. Did you hear me? The older brother's situation is much more deadly. It's like the silent killer because you can sit in the back pew of a church for decades and still go to hell if you have the heart of the older brother. If you think that your good works are somehow making you more acceptable to God. And so the target of this teaching are the religious and moral insiders, the churchgoers, the Bible believers. And these are the exact kind of people who have convinced themselves they don't need to hear this. And yet Jesus is alerting them to their blindness and narrowness and self-righteousness. And here's the problem with the older brother. Look at what he says. Verse 9. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And so the older brother's like, I've done, I've checked all the boxes. What is going on here? And his father, no, no, no. So here's what's wrong. The older brother has a father, but that relationship he's treating as if he has a master. Man, he, he thinks that he's going to somehow earn his inheritance. You don't earn your inheritance. You earn wages. Okay, so the older brother is thinking that he is doing the right thing before the father, but he already has the inheritance because he's a son. The things that he's doing now should be of gratefulness to his father, not in order to earn wages from his father. He's treating his father like a master. Jesus here in our story he doesn't divide the world into the good guys and the bad guys. And the older brother would do that, right? The older brother would be like, we in here, the church people, the Bible believer, we're the good guys. And those guys out there, they're the bad guys. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus shows that everybody's wrong. And everybody's trying to save themselves in a different way. And it's not working for any one of us. And so the gospel is not religion or irreligion. It's not morality or immorality. It's not moralism or relativism. And it's not halfway in between either one of those either. It's a distinct third way. It's something else altogether. In the gospel, everyone is wrong. Everyone is loved. And everyone is called to recognize this and change. Jesus does not say the good guys are in and the bad guys are out. Jesus says the humble are in and the proud are are out. The people who recognize and confess they aren't particularly good or open-minded, those are the people who are not moving toward God. Because the prerequisite for receiving grace is acknowledging that you need it. The people who think they are just fine, thank you very much, are the people who are moving away from God. The sons are both wrong. The sons are both loved. And yet the story does not end the same for each. One is reconciled, one is not. Because each path is not equally dangerous. Because of the increased blindness, being a Pharisee in a more spiritually dangerous position. 
because you convince yourself that you're fine with God. The younger brother, they usually blow their lives up bad enough to know they screwed up. Right? Now, some of them are prideful, and they go down to the grave just being losers. But at some point, most of them are going like, this is not working. Older brothers can convince themselves it's working to the end of their days. And that's why it's more spiritually dangerous. And that's why in our story, the older brother ends the story on the outside looking in. I am five minutes over time. I, I feel terrible about this. I'm going to give you five more minutes because there's a huge point we have to hit. Okay? Is that okay with everybody? Okay. Let's do it. There's some guy in the back like, are you kidding me? Like Everybody else said preach. I'm about to get hungry. Well, let's finish this. There's a missing character in the story. Okay, at the beginning of the story, we're told that there's the outcasts who are drawn to Jesus. There are the religious insiders who are grumbling. And so Jesus starts to tell stories. And if you read through chapter 15, he tells a story about a guy who has 100 sheep and 99 are with him. And one of them runs away. And what does he do? He leaves the 99 to go find the one. And then he tells another story about a woman who has a very valuable coin, and she loses the coin, and she stops everything and searches her whole house night and day, it says, until she finds the coin. And then just like the guy who lost the sheep and found it, when she finds the coin, she throws a huge celebration. And it's like, I found my coin. This is great. So if you're following the pattern, we're like, okay, I get it. Valuable thing, lost, go search for it, found, celebrate. And so now Jesus tells the third story. And if you're sitting there, you're like, okay, I know that how this works, right? It's like a Hallmark movie. We already know who's going to end up with who at the end, right? If you're watching this, you're like, I get it. Valuable thing, son, lost. Okay, where's the search party? No search party. Who's, where's the rescuer? No rescuer. Who's coming to look for the younger son? Nobody does. What? That doesn't make any sense. Sheep, lost, rescuer. Right? Coin, lost, search for it. Son, lost, no rescuer, no search party. Who's coming to look for the son? And then the youngest son comes home. And we find the older brother, who should have been out looking for the younger brother, is not only not out looking for him, he's mad that he came home. And so if this story was written in the way that would make it consistent with the other two parables in the chapter, we would have had an older brother who left home and went in search for the younger brother and was like, hey, man, dad loves you. He wants you home. Hey, man, dad will take you home at any time. Hey, man, come on home. We'll take you in any time. We know it's not working. Come on back. Dad loves you. But this older brother wouldn't do that. Why? Because it would cost him too much. Remember at the beginning of our parable, the father divided the inheritance between the two sons. So the younger son gets his half. The older son gets his half. The younger son took his half and left. So everything that's left in the household is whose? It's the older son's. So when we bring the younger son back and put a ring on his finger, that's the older brother's ring. When we put a robe on his back, that's the older brother's robe. When we killed a fattened calf for that younger brother to come home, that's the older brother's calf. Everything that's left is his. The inheritance was split. And this younger brother will not pay what it costs to bring the younger son home. He won't do it. That's why he's so mad. This is going to cost me a lot, and he's a jerk, and he hangs out with prostitutes. I don't want anything to do with that. And so there's this missing character in the story, an older brother 
who goes on the rescue mission to find the younger brother and will pay whatever it costs to bring him home. That character is missing from our parable of the two sons. And Jesus is saying, I am that older brother. I am what's missing. It's not the younger. You're, you can't save yourself being the younger brother. You can't save yourself being the older brother. You're both lost. You both need an older brother who is going to go on a rescue mission and say, Dad wants you home, and I'll pay whatever it costs to bring you home. See, grace is not free. Some of you think that. It's not. It's free to you. It's not free to the older brother. It costs a lot to bring you home. Because you wasted. Some of you have done that with your life. You took the breath in your lungs, your beating heart, your free will, your mind to think. And you're like, thanks for the inheritance, God. I'm out. I'm going to go do my own thing. And 2,000 years ago, there was a baby born in a manger on a rescue mission. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, his perfect older brother, to the earth in search of both younger brothers and older brothers that he desired to bring home into the feast at whatever cost it would cost him. He was going to pay the price. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus said it this way. He said, I have come to seek and save those who were lost. And so Christmas is a reminder to us that whether we are making a mess of our lives like the younger brother, it's not working, or we are somehow earning our way to heaven, that is also not working. We all need to recognize the perfect older brother who came searching for us. And it's a reminder that we celebrate that he would pay the ultimate price to bring us home. Grace would be free to us, but it would cost him everything. That's why Christmas is such a great message, right? It's not some feel-good, goody-two-shoes. Oh, it makes me say the Christmas spirit. Baloney. The message is this. You are screwing up your life. You cannot save yourself. I don't care what path you're on. You need Jesus. He's the only one that can pay what it costs to bring you home. And yes, that grace will be free to you, but it's going to cost him everything. And so that baby in the manger... It's worth remembering that that baby 2,000 years ago as the, the star shone and the wise men came and the angels were singing glory to God in the highest. Why? Because there's an older brother who is doing the right thing and is searching for you this morning. And he's saying, you're not going to get in by self-discovery and making a mess of your life. You're not going to get in by following all the rules. You're going to get in because I'm going to bring you home and I'm going to pay what it costs. That's an incredible thing to celebrate. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word that encourages and strengthens our hearts, Lord, not because we have somehow earned it, Lord, or we have somehow discovered enough, Lord, but because you are calling us home, because you have paid what it costs. And I pray if there's anyone in here this morning who has not accepted that free gift, that they would have a realization. A realization of how much you love. A realization of how good you are. I pray that their hearts would change this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, Jesus says the humble are in and the proud are out.
like I said earlier, the prerequisite for receiving the grace of God is knowing you need it. So do not leave this morning thinking that somehow you don't need it. We celebrate Christmas because it is a declaration that we so desperately need it. Amen? Don't forget we have a Christmas Eve service. I love hanging out with you guys. I love worship with you guys. It's my favorite time of the year. Uh, I know Christmas is a little different this year, and, you know, you do your thing. But do not forget how much God gave up for you on this Christmas season. We'll see you guys Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock. And go ahead and say hi to someone on your way out, all right? God bless.